I'm going to read you a story first. I and mean, this is called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. And we think this is quite a funny book. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard. And by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running. And I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony got a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal. And Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box. But in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. In the carpool, Mrs. Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window too. I said I was being squunched. I said I was being smushed. I said if I don't get a seat by the window, I'm going to be car sick. No one even answered. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At school, Mrs. Dickens likes Paul's picture of the sailboat I said of my picture of the invisible castle. At singing time, she said I sang too loud. At counting time, she said I left out 16. Who needs 16? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I could tell because Paul said I wasn't his best friend anymore. He said that Philip Parker was his best friend, and that Albert Moyo was his next best friend, and that I was only his third best friend. I hope you sit on a tack, I said to Paul. I hope the next time you get a double-decker strawberry ice cream cone, the ice cream part falls off and the cone part lands in Australia. There were two cupcakes in Philip Parker's lunch bag. Albert got a Hershey bar with almonds, and Paul's mother gave him a piece of jelly roll that had little coconut sprinkles on top. Guess whose mother forgot to put in dessert? It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. That's what it was, because after school, my mum took us to the dentist, and Dr Fields found a cavity just in me. Come back next week and I'll fix it, said Dr Fields. Next week, I said, I'm going to Australia. On the way downstairs, the elevator door closed on my foot, and while we waited for mum to get the car, Anthony made me fall where it was muddy, and then when I started crying because of the mud, Nick said I was a crybaby. And while I was punching Nick for saying crybaby, my mum came back with the car and scolded me for being muddy and fighting. I am having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I told everybody, and no one even answered. So when we went to the shoe store to buy some sneakers, Anthony chose white ones with blue stripes, Nick chose red ones with white stripes, I chose blue ones with red stripes. But then a the shoe man said, we're all sold out. That made me buy plain old white ones, but they can't make me wear them. Then we picked up my dad at his office. He said I couldn't play with this copying machine, but I forgot. He also said to watch out for the books on his desk. And I was as careful as I could be, except for my elbow. He also said don't fall around with his phone, but I think I called Australia. My dad said, please don't pick him up anymore. It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. There were lima beans for dinner and I hated lemas. There was kissing on TV and I hated kissing. My bath was too hot, I got soap in my eyes, my marble went round down the drain and I had to wear my railroad train pyjamas. I hate railroad train pyjamas. When I went to bed, Nick took back the pillow he said I could keep and the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Auntie, not Anthony, not me. It has been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mum says some days are like that, even in Australia. You like that book? Um, <laughs> I don't know if you have ever had a day like Alexander, but everything just feels like it's going wrong. You wake up late, you miss the bus, you get splashed by a car driving through a puddle, and it all seems to happen at once. When I think of people in the Bible who have had bad days, 
or one of the first people that pops into my head is actually Joseph. And I'd like to just kind of look at his life now and the inconveniences that he faced and explore, explore his story a bit more. When I look at this story, I see three main themes really, and I'm going to kind of go through each one. Um, and I'm going to read from Genesis um, 37 in a minute, but before I start that, I just want to briefly summarise where Joseph is at the minute. So he's one of 12 brothers, and he's one of the youngest, he's um, clearly the favourite, his dad's just given him this beautiful robe, and um, which is kind of hinting that he's going to be the one to inherit. Um, and he's just had these dreams and uh, that he's going to be the one that his family are going to bow down to, which make, make, has made his brothers even more envious of him. So, the first theme I want to explore is that inconveniences can be used for God's guidance. So I'm just going to read from Genesis 37, verses 12 to 17. And it says, Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing your flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. And then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering about in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? Then moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. So Joseph's having quite a day here. It's quite an inconvenient time for him. He, his, his father's asked him to go and find his brothers, but obviously he's probably not looking forward to the reception that he's going to find from his brothers at the other end. And he arrives in Shechem. Now I believe that this is quite a significant place here. So he can't find his brothers, he's all alone, and he finds this man, and this man Shows, gives him directions. But I believe that this man was a crucial to Joseph's plan because he's gone to Shechem, he can't find his brothers, that's where they're supposed to be. And this man directs him to Dothan where he needs to be. This, if this man wasn't here for this divine encounter, Joseph would have probably given up and gone back to his father with no word of his brothers. But he got the direction from this man which led him to the unfolding of God's plan for the rest of his life to save people from seven years of severe famine. The meeting at Shechem was significant. All events of Joseph's life come upon this encounter with this one man. Joseph's inconvenience led him to God's guidance to meet the man that was directing to eventually save his family and so many people from famine. I want to share a story about a time in my life where um, inconvenience led to God's guidance. When I finished school, I decided to go to college to do some A-levels at this long road. And um, it was my first day, and I'm not somebody who's late. I hate being late. I like being organised and on time. And this one day, I missed the bus. It was like my first day of college. I was anxious anyway about like a new experience. And I was late, and I missed the bus. So that eventually made me late getting to college. I had to get the next bus. And like through Cambridge traffic, it was just horrible. And I finally got to college, I didn't know where I was supposed to be because I hadn't even got a timetable. I finally got to the classroom I was supposed to be in and opened the door and everyone was already sitting together with friends. And I'm like, oh, this is just horrible. I didn't know anybody in the room. So I was kind of like fumbling around college for a couple of days. Like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I felt like this huge inconvenience that happened at the beginning had like messed, 
messed me up, if that makes sense. So I was sitting on the bus, I think I'd done like two days of college, and I was sitting on the bus on the way home. And I just saw this like little girl sitting on the bus, and I don't know, we just started like interacting with each other. And I just felt like God said to me, like, honey, you know what we're supposed to be doing. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and I felt like I was supposed to be working with children, but I hadn't applied for a, to go to the vocational college to do childcare because at the time it wasn't kind of cool, if that makes sense, and I wanted to be with my friends. Um, so I managed to ring up this other college, and there was one space left on the course for me. It honestly was such a good time, I had such a good two years, and even the teacher at the end of it was just like, I've never been in a classroom like this. Like, we were all, most people went after uni, it was just like, everyone was so like focused in this class. But I felt like God really like positioned me there. It's given me lots of opportunities since doing that. So that inconvenience of me being late led me into discovering the path that God had for me. Uh, another theme of how I see Joseph's inconveniences are how inconvenience can lead us to God's protection. We've already heard a story from Malcolm this morning about that. So I just want to read the rest of Genesis from Genesis 37, verses 18 to 36. Joseph went after his brothers and found him near Dutton. When they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal has devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern right here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him and to take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and they threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty and there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming in from Gilead. The camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way back to take them to Egypt. Peter said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the system and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned, he saw that Joseph was not there and he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there, where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph, Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they took the ornate robe back to the father and said, we found this, examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognised it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Joseph finally ends up in... Dothan. And he finds his brothers. By this point, he's been travelling about a hundred miles to find his brothers, just by being obedient to his father. Where's God's protection here? Well, for a start, he didn't die. Like, he got thrown into a pit, no broken bones. Like, they decided not to kill him, rather to just sell him on. You can see that God clearly has his hands upon Joseph's life right here. But also, I want to point out that in Shechem, if you actually look back a few verses before, this is where one of Joseph's sister was just mistreated by a man. I actually believe his name is Shechem. In Shechem, um, great her. Joseph's family then went to Shechem and killed all of the men there. So it's incredible, really, that God's protection was over Joseph, that 
this man that gave Joseph directions didn't harm him because he would have known who Joseph was and who Joseph's family was. So there's like another sign of God's protection over Joseph and that's time that God had work for him to do. I think many times in our life we could look back and see or maybe not see, we might not see till we get to heaven, how God has protected us from, from, from harm. And I just want to share a time in my life where God used an inconvenience to protect me. So we're all aware of what's going on in Ukraine at the moment, and um, I spent, I've spent a bit of time in Ukraine a couple of times. Um, it was right down in Crimea in Kerch, and um, I helped to run like summer camps down there, so orphaned children from across Ukraine and Russia would come down to the summer camp and they'd have sports and crafts and activities and three meals a day and just it was like an amazing place. So I spent a couple of um, a couple of, I've been there a couple of times. So the second time I was there me and the team headed out into the town um, to get some photos developed because we used to like give them as memories to the children of their time there. We got to the photo shop and they were like, I'm really sorry but um, we don't like if we've got your order wrong, so can you come back in 15 minutes and then we'll sort it out for you? And I'm like, oh, okay. It was a bit annoying because we were like on a time limit and we needed to get back. So we decided to walk around to a shop. I think we brought some chocolate. Um, and we were in this shop and it was like the only solid building in the area. Everything else was like shacks. And we were in there and then all of a sudden we just heard this like massive bang. And we thought, I thought it was like someone had fallen above us but it turns out that there wasn't an upstairs and like the building shook so the shopkeeper was like okay this isn't right let's go see so we all walked out round and right where the photoshop was there was like rubble there was glass um people had cups like glass stuck in them it was horrible it's just like a really like chaotic time and it turns out that there had been a gas explosion and you could literally see a side of an apartment had just blown off at a man as well. If we were standing at Photoshop at the time and the order had been right, then we would have got seriously harmed. So I totally see God's protection in us there and keeping us safe. And I wonder, like, you can probably look back at times in your life and see where God's kept you safe, even though it was inconvenient and frustrating at the time. The last theme that I see how God uses inconvenience is inconveniences can lead to divine appointments. Mm-hmm. Now, we fast forwarded Joseph's life, life a little bit now. He ended up in Potiphar's house, God blessed him, and then he got falsely accused, ended up in prison, and finally ends up interpreting Pharaoh's dreams. So I'm just going to read Genesis 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Now Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Chapter 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and travelled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the Lord produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the city. So if you notice there, the dreams that Joseph had when he was 17 have finally come into place now he's in his 30s. I just think that's such an incredible story that Joseph had such a tough time. He had so many difficulties, so many inconveniences 
that yet God used him for, for so much good. He was torn away from his family, he was betrayed, he was sold by his brothers, he was falsely accused and forgotten about. But yet he ended up not only saving his family, but saving people from severe famine. God turned Joseph's inconvenient days into a divine plan to save his people. That is a divine appointment. Joseph ends up saying, don't be afraid, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So don't be afraid, I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph didn't allow his inconveniences to turn him bitter, but he used them to glorify God. And my last story that I'm going to share here, Sam actually shared it the other night on the podcast that he did. So you can tell me who tells it better. Um, I, I had a friend's wedding that we needed to go to. And at the time, I was pregnant with Faith. And I didn't have that pregnancy glow people talk about. I wasn't just morning sickness, I had afternoon sickness and evening sickness and night sickness. But I looked rather green rather than glowing, as they say. So I was feeling really rough and I was like, I don't even know if we can go to this wedding. But it was important that I needed to go to show support. So me and Samuel didn't have a car at the time and we were living in this village outside Cambridge. So we got, I don't know how, but I managed to get the bus to the city and from the city to this other village that we needed to be in. We asked the bus driver and we were like, this goes to Bayburn and he was just like, yeah, yeah, it goes to Bayburn. So we were like, okay, can you tell us when, when we get there? He was like, yeah, okay. So then we're on the bus and time's getting on because the buses have taken too long. And um, and then we see like a sign to favour in that way and we're going this way and we're like, oh no. So we go down to the bus driver and um, we're like, this isn't favour. He was like, oh no, I'm, I'm sorry, I knew. I was saying, he dropped us in this next village. Um, we rang for a taxi and they were like, it's going to be like at least like 30 minutes until we can get a taxi. And the wedding started in 20 minutes. And, you know, you're supposed to be there before the bride and groom get there, right? And we were like, oh no, this whole boy was standing there feeling sick. Like, oh, it's just a horrible experience. And me and Sam were like, falling out a little bit on the side of the road. And, um, and then all of a sudden, this car comes up on the opposite side of the road. And he winds his window down. He's like, I heard you need to go to Bayfield. And we were like, who is this man? How does he know? So we get in the car with him. I was a bit hesitant at the time. But we got into the car and like everything about this man just seemed perfect, like he looked perfect, his car smelled amazing. Um, and he had the most piercing blue eyes I've ever seen. I just kept looking at them like in the mirror. Um, and Sam was like started talking a little bit about like how frustrated he was at the bus driver didn't get us there. But as soon as he started talking, it was just like he couldn't say anything wrong. It felt like I don't know, felt like a really environment really. So anyway, he gets us there, drops us, and Sam's like, tries to give me some money, he's like, I don't need money, and then Sam's like, I think you're a messenger of the Lord, but take the money anyway. <laughs> um, so we gave it to him, he just smiled like he knew, he knew something. So me and Sam think this man was an angel. Um, anyway, we ended up getting to the wedding, and you couldn't even park outside the church, you had to like go over those little bridges and walk to it. So I don't know how, but we managed to get there in time before she arrived. And then we ended up with my friend's family who weren't believers at the table and had some kind of divine conversations really. And my friend afterwards was just like, I can't believe you shared that with them. And um, yeah, it's just, it was 
very timely. And then the next day, I think you know about Linda and Wiley, you come here sometimes. I went to church. I said, Linda, I think you got a little bit of an angel yesterday. And the first thing she said was, did he have piercing blue eyes? I was like, yes, he did. So that was really cool. Um, but I kind of like the idea that even if, even if it wasn't for those divine encounters, I just like the idea of like my father looking down just like Sam and Hannah and the right people there. I'm just going to like send in reinforcements from them. This man, angel comes along. I just think it was a cool, a cool experience. So, I don't know if any of you guys, what you're going through at the minute, if you're going through some inconveniences, a redundancy, family troubles, health issues, but I want you to know that the Lord is with you. You know, God is our friend and the against beginning and the end, the Lord of Lords, is the Prince of Peace, he's the everlasting God, and he is our Roy, he is the God who sees. You know, the Lord, if you look through, through the story of Joseph, he was with Joseph, he saw him watching over him, he saw his head. His tears, I'm sure. He saw, he saw his pain. He saw his confusion. He saw how he was treated, the false allegations that were put over his life. But the Lord saw him in those situations. And I just want to encourage you as I was preparing this message, I felt so strongly that somebody here needs to know that God is your, he is your elder boy. He is the God who sees you. He knows about your situation. He knows your tears and your pain and he understands. And you don't need to hide anything from him. And you are not hidden from him. You are not forgotten. I wanted to share a, a kind of a bit of a story. A couple of years ago, I was going through a difficult time, remembering something of my past. And I won't go into details because it's personal. Um, but when I was a little girl, and I was really struggling with this, and I just couldn't see how God was with me. And um, I ended up at a church service, and a man. Uh, spoke over my life and I hadn't told him anything and he described the exact situation that I had in my head as I was a little girl and he said to me like Hannah God saw you he was with you but he was also weeping with you and oh my gosh I just cried like solidly for like a week because God knew how much I needed to know that he saw me in that time and God sees you and he knows what you're going through and you're not alone just like he saw Joseph he sees you but how about maybe your divine encounter is actually meeting with Jesus? Just as the Lord was with Joseph, he showed me that he showed me that he was with me in a difficult time, and I want to reassure you that the Lord is with you and sees you. So what are these inconveniences that we find ourselves in? Is actually God guiding us to where he wants us to be? It might be something simple like your washing machine's broken, or maybe he just wants you to show hospitality and share the gospel with a plumber. Do you know what I mean? Or maybe he's protecting us from greater things. Um, I want us to go back to Shechem. Now Shechem was a place known to be a commitment to God, a place of commitment. It's here in Shechem that Abraham made an altar to the Lord, as God promised that Abraham would be blessed and be made into a great nation. Abraham was obedient to the Lord's promises, even though he couldn't see what Shechem is also where Jacob set up an altar to God. Another commitment to God. Shechem is where Joseph met the man who guided him to where he needed to be to fulfill the plans of the Lord and to honour his father's, father's wishes. Again, Joshua gathered at Shechem and challenged the people to recommit themselves to God. 
And yet, if God is our Elroy, the God who sees, after thousands of years later, he brings another who is going to show commitment and obedience to their father at Shechem. Somebody who'd been travelling all day, who was tired, who was hungry, and they stopped in this place called Sychar, which is also known as Shechem. And this person is Jesus when he meets the Samaritan lady at the well. The Samaritan and the Jews didn't mix. They were hated by Jews, and it was dangerous for Jesus even to be in that place. And yet there he is speaking to this lady. That's no accident. It's no accident that God was there. The lady also having an inconvenient time. She is rejected by society. She's an outcast. She has to go and fill up the water in the middle of the day. In the middle of her inconvenience, Jesus meets her right there. It was inconvenient for Jesus to be there because he hadn't eaten, he was thirsty and probably tired, but yet he shows obedience and commitment to God, to his father, to be about his father's business. You can read more about her story in John 4. You see, I don't know, there's just something about this place that is asking people whether they're going to obey God, whether they're going to push on for him, even when it's difficult and even when things are inconvenient. I wonder maybe if the Lord is speaking to you today about maybe recommitting parts of your life to him, maybe your inconveniences, the disruptions that are happening in our life, the chaos. But you know what? Jesus is never, you're no inconvenience to Jesus. You're always, he'll always have his arms open for you because he cares. And I think in our surrender, God meets us in such a great way. And even in the midst of this hot day, the Lord made time to reveal himself to a hurting Samaritan woman who is lonely and isolated. And he will make time for you because he is the God who sees. Amen. Amen. Amen.